Welcome back to React Native Radio Podcast. Brought to you by Toasters. How hard is it to make a toaster that actually works? Yay, Toasters. Episode 244, Gas Buddy React Native Rewrite. Well, it's nice to see you virtually, Robin and Mazen. I'm getting tired of seeing you in 3D. Yes, we got to see everyone in 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 real life last week, IRL. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was uh, how long since I last saw you, Robin? Almost three years. That's ridiculous. It is, and it doesn't feel like it either. I mean, we see we're like we're talking to each other every single day, basically. Right. And, and yeah. so it doesn't feel like it had been three years, but it had been three years. And you live in Beaverton and I live in Vancouver. Like, we're not that far right, apart. Right. We're, we're not that far apart. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's far for Portland. Like, it's, right. we're on very opposite ends of the metro area. And we are on opposite sides of the continent. The continent. <laughs> and I saw you 10 months ago, Jamin. But Robin, that was the first time we met having worked on a project. Yeah. I had I had a baby, so I didn't get to go to the last retreat. So it's true. I missed out. Yeah. But it was really, really great to see everyone. It was a fantastic week. Gant uh, revealed a little bit of the fun stuff we did on Twitter this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had an epic. It wasn't a scavenger. It was like a puzzle. Well, I don't even know what to call it. Puzzle hunt. Yeah. Yeah. He He put so much work into this. And it was basically like we had to solve all these puzzles work together as a team so um you know like we split the team into two teams and we were just like frantically working for three hours like trying to get to the yeah. end including an hour-long power outage yeah where we lost internet <laughs> right well you thought your team had something to do with because it's todd's team and i just he would do something like that he you know all of a sudden the power goes out in the middle of this competition we can skip over the winning team. That's fine. We can go into the next yes. part. I'd be okay with talking about it. Anyway. We don't, uh, we don't have to talk about who won. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, it was a fantastic time. We had a lot of fun. It was, it, I feel like for a fully remote company, getting together once a year for a, a week, um, preferably not three years in between, is fantastic. It's so much fun. Uh, and everybody comes away from it energized. And yeah. then, of course, we do still do a little bit of work. Like we, we kind of did some presentations. You know, Todd did his, you know, State of the Union, uh, which he called the State of the Onion this time. That's going to stick, I think. Yeah, I think I think it will. And then for me, I did my State of Tech and a bunch of other things we talked about. It was a great time. Got to see everybody. I think there were 22 there. We were only missing one, Simran. Hi, Simran. Uh, but uh, <laughs> next time she'll be there. But uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I'm, I'm Jamin Holmgren, your host, friendly CTO of Infinite Red. I'm Located uh, not very far from Robin, like just a hop, skip, and a jump. Somehow we don't see each other. Uh, live live uh, near Portland, Oregon with my wife and four kids on three acres. And I am joined today by my staunch co-hosts. <laughs> staunch That's sounds weird. That's one of those that, that I'm not sure that it sounds like a compliment. It doesn't sound like a compliment, but it is a compliment. <laughs> I swear. Go look it up. Once you read the definition, you're like, okay. Right. It's, it's a compliment. Robin and Mazen. And uh, we do today actually have two guests. We have a guest host, Mark Ricker and uh, Max Metro, which I will be introducing them in just a second. Robin is a senior software engineer at Infinite Red. 
Uh, she is located west of Portland, Oregon, with her husband and two kids, and is specialized in React Native for the past five years. Mazen Chami is a co-host as well. He lives in Durham, North Carolina, with his wife and newborn child. He's a former pro soccer player and coach, and is a senior React Native engineer, also here at Infinite Red. Mark Rickert, who has been on the program before. Hey, Mark. Yeah. Hi, Jamin. Good to be back. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, Mark lives in Moab, Utah, and is an avid skydiver, base jumper, paraglider, and other extreme sports enthusiast. You're going to Burning Man, aren't you? Uh, yeah, in a couple of weeks, I'll be going to Burning Man. I'm going to be skydiving at Burning Man, so that'll be pretty fun. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> You've been a few times, right? Uh, I have. I've been to Burning Man three times, uh, but this is going to be the first time I've ever been with a partner. So my partner, Kristen, is going to be joining me in my van. Is she going to be jumping? No, she's not. A, she's not a skydiver. But this will also be the first time I've ever been at Burning Man without my home there. Mm. Mm. Because every time I've been to Burning Man, I've been in my van, which I was living in full time. So this year is going to be a lot more planning and packing and determining what we need to bring instead of just, I have everything I need to live in my home that I'm just bringing to Burning Man. So yeah. You are still fun. bringing the van though. We are bringing the van. Yeah. I look forward to pictures. Same. Yeah. There will be a lot. Hopefully safe for work pictures. Safe for work pictures. Yeah. Uh, no, they won't be, but they'll be in Mark's special channel. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you have to change his lives in Moab, Utah to lives everywhere. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, Mark is more settled down these days. It's kind of it's kind of different. Yeah. yeah, I used to live everywhere. Yeah. Not so much a nomad. Mark is a principal software engineer at Infinite Red as well. Uh, and he's actually been working on the Gas Buddy project, which is why he's in in this uh, in this call. It's going to be hopefully a really good one. Uh, Max Metro, finally getting to our guest here. Uh, really excited to have you on, Max. Thank you. <laughs> Max is a chief technology officer for Gas Buddy. Uh, lives in Boston. Uh, before that, he was a chief engineer at PayPal Retail. He has a master's in media, art, and sciences from MIT, as well as a CS degree from the same university. And uh, he's also been a client of your, ours at Infinite Red for, I think, over two years now. Is that right, Max? That does put rings around the tree that is the Gas Buddy React Native project, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, we've been doing this for a while together, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, really, really excited to have you on, Max. Uh, what did I miss? Like, what do you, what do you do, what do you do for fun? Uh, what's not in the bio? The professional soccer player bit. I'm going to have to follow up on at some point too. But uh, I do go to a <laughs> the only adult soccer camp in the country in July in Virginia every year. I've been for about 16 years now. Missed a few for kids' births and things, torn ACL, that kind of thing. But uh, that's four days of uh, we computed last time 50 miles of soccer in four days. So it's a lot of fun. Wow. wow. Oh, wow. You have to send me the link. I'll probably show up. I will do that. The first year I went, we had an 18-year-old who was trying out for Division One, and a 75-year-old who had never played soccer before and everything in between. Wow. It's oh, gotten a little more homogenous, wow. but not much. I love that. Yeah, I, I love talking uh, soccer with Mazen and learning more about the sport. Mazen played overseas. Uh, he grew up in Nigeria. He played pro soccer there and uh, played semi-pro in Europe and coached the highest levels of the women's soccer league uh, here in the U.S. So The, the camp is run by... Paul Ellis, who is uh, Jill Ellis's brother, who was the mm -hmm. head coach of the U.S. women's national team. She stopped by a few times. I'm sure we have uh, connections in common as a result. Wow. You guys run in the same circles. Yeah. That's the summary of soccer. Run in the same circles. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, just really quickly, uh, do you want to mention this episode is sponsored by Infinite Red. Infinite Red is a premier React native design and development agency located fully remotely in the U.S. And we have a few in Canada. 
If you're looking for React Native expertise for your next React Native project, hit us up. You can learn more on our website, infinite.red slash React Native. And don't forget to mention that you heard about us through the, the Gas Buddy React Native radio podcast. We should be more specific about that because I think it'd be kind of interesting. All right, let's get into our topic. So over the last two years plus, we have been helping GasBuddy rewrite their app in React Native. And GasBuddy has been around for a while. This is not a new app. This is something that I've seen in the App Store since, I don't know, since I can remember. So let's talk about the history of GasBuddy as a product. Max, what, like, when did this even hit the App Store? Well, I, I, you know, I wasn't there, but I think it was probably in the App Store when there was an App Store. And it's one of the reasons why, as a company, it was so successful. The GasBuddy existed from 2000 or so in a time where people would jot down the prices that they drove by and come home to their desktop and type them in well, whenever we're out in sort of fundraising type situations or were. We're not, not out in them anymore. I would say that if you approached a VC with this business model now, they would laugh you out of the building. Like it, it was the, <laughs> the right place, the right time. And so it had a very strong community. At this point, we get about 2 million price submissions per day from end users. Wow, that's nuts. And I think a big piece of that was being there in mobile at the right time. I, in 2004, I had a company called Povo, which was Wikipedia meets Yelp. So every uh, block in the city got a wiki page. You can build your own search engine. It was super cool technologically. But we missed mobile. Even though I loved the iPhone, wrote a bunch of code for it before you could really write code for it, but I just didn't see how crucial it would be to all of these local services and guess what he did. I remember 2013 when I drove from North Carolina to California. That was when I was going out there to to coach the pro team. I used GasBuddy and GasBuddy was like integral to me getting there efficiently because I remember yeah. just using it at night and kind of just mapping out because I had a very I had a Dodge Charger, not very good with gas. <laughs> so I would map out my route, kind of needed it to help me figure out, you know, gas and all that kind of stuff. And at that point, I was on a tight budget. So it worked out. It was very helpful. It's funny. Uh, we, I used to work at PayPal. And when I moved to GasBuddy, I thought, well, there goes the time of everybody knowing where I, the, what the company I work at does. <laughs> and so you go to parties when you work at PayPal and you get a horror story nine out of 10 times. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But <laughs> GasBuddy, it's usually a pleasant story. Oh, you saved me in the hurricane or man, I, you know, I did a cross country trip and it was great. So it is a. Yeah. That's, that's a nice contrast. Yeah. At some point, we were number one in the App Store. It's happened a couple times over the past two years. PayPal was never number one in the App Store. Yeah, <laughs> right? Very strange. No kidding. Uh, I mean, it's like, uh, I, I remember recently in the on the East Coast, was it last year? Last year. In the East Coast, where there was some gas shortages. The pipeline. Yeah, I got yeah. caught up in that. Yeah, the pipeline issue. Oh, yeah, the pipeline issue. Mark, you said you got, got caught up in it. You were living on the East Coast at the time, right? Yeah, I was living in North Carolina uh, at the time when there was a gas shortage and... GasBuddy has a feature where it'll tell you if a station has gas or not, which is really great when like 80% of the stations in your city don't have gas. You can just go straight to the ones that do. Let me ask you, Mark, when you're using an app that you built and you look at a feature like that, are you envisioning behind the scenes like the code that's running or are you just trying to do your job? Oh, absolutely. Like I look at the GasBuddy app and like my brain just like 
sees all the different component hierarchies and, and, oh, yeah. and uh, react yeah. use effects and like like my brain just immediately sees what's happening behind the scenes without without me even trying so oh yeah i've been ingrained in this project for a while <laughs> it takes the magic away you know I, I, like the other day i was actually last night i was using a, a, a an app and it had a little cool like animation and sound effect which i was kind of enjoying as i was like tapping and it was like oh this is kind of fun and then i was like Oh, I wonder how they do that. And I kind of worked through that in my brain. And afterward, I was like, yeah, this isn't as fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I teach kids hour of code often. Uh, and I start with a Lego exercise. And th the whole point of the exercise being there is no magic. That Minecraft you're playing, mm -hmm. that game, there is no magic anywhere in the system. Now, with AI, I might argue it's harder to say there's no magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the most part, no magic. Yeah. So Max, when did you join GasBuddy and, and what's been your role there? Have you been CTO the whole time or, or has that been, uh, has that evolved? Uh, yeah, so GasBuddy, as I said, was founded in 2000. Uh, about 2014, I think, they sold to the largest provider of retail fuel price data, a company called Opus. Um, and that company went through some changes and it was basically a data play, right? They were concerned. GasBuddy was a primary source now of retail price data, which was, I would argue, a threat to their product. And so it's primarily the reason why they bought it. They didn't buy it as a consumer property. So through some other machinations, they spun it out and hired a new executive team to build the consumer side and focus on the consumer side of GasBuddy. And that's when I joined in 2016. Uh, and I was CTO at the time. We hired uh, a number of sort of high-end mobile devs. There was a big team already, so and they were doing quite well, but we came in to build a payments product. Um, and so uh, I've been doing that since then. We sold the company uh, to a larger company called PDI in last April. Uh, and so my title has undoubtedly changed, but I haven't even bothered to learn it. Uh, I'm still, <laughs> Classic. Yeah, still permanently working on gas buddy. When you actually decided to do the rewrite, what state was the app and what state was the business in when you made that decision like what how was the app doing like what was the native team like and what sort of like drove you into that decision? that's a great question because it was a huge piece of the puzzle for us we i had dabbled in react native for a while at paypal i built paypal here which was the sort of squ square competitor and for a host of reasons it was crucial for us to share code and so i had done basically my own version of react native because react native wasn't a real thing at the time and the second time I tried it in probably 2019, I also didn't feel like it was a real thing yet. It was great, but I didn't think I could actually ship an app with it. So uh, I guess 2020, right right, right before COVID, like October before COVID, um, we were contemplating selling the business, basically, and wondering, like, we had a big team. At, at one point, I think we were over 100 people. Um, we had come down a lot since then, um, but we're still sort of not sure whether uh, there was a, a sort of big win available or we needed to batten down the hatches for the end of humanity. Now, luckily, it was not the end of humanity, but it felt like it at times. Mm -hmm. And so what was unique to me about React Native was in the disaster case, it is significantly more efficient to develop an application once than twice. Yeah. And in the uh, rosy outcome, which is essentially where we ended up, it is significantly more efficient to build features in React Native. And so I was making the case to the executive team and boy, the executive team I think was was on board from the beginning, but the developers, all, all of them wanted to believe, but thought there's no way we can pull this off. We can't rewrite an entire app. Um, and so we just started and, and it went well enough 
at the beginning. I think what you what you hear with React Native projects is always, oh yeah, I rebuilt the app in like two weeks, and we it's even worse than eighty twenty. It's more like eight no. ninety two um, with with React Native and with apps in general. And I think we didn't realize quite the size of the footprint of the feature footprint in the Gas Buddy app at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But th what made us decide is that all future outcomes would benefit from this decision if it worked. Yeah, it's it feels like it's like a huge. You're at the top of a roller coaster and you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, and it, it's a huge uh, risk to take on and it can feel really scary. But I, I, I hear way more stories of companies being so, so happy that they took the leap than companies that regret it and went back. And I, I know that there are a lot of companies that, that would not do this <laughs> because it is risky. Uh, but having worked with the Max for a couple of years, I now understand uh, how he operates. And it doesn't surprise me at all that he's like, all right, we're doing this and let's go <laughs> dive in head first. Um, it's uh, it's it's great. Uh, and it, it was I, I, I agree. I think it was it was the right decision in hindsight, but it wasn't it wasn't obvious at the time, for sure. We had those conversations early on. And even though I'm a huge believer in React Native, it was definitely a daunting task. Yeah, we tried to write about it from the beginning. I mean, I'm not a copious writer, but I wrote a few sort of before we started, when we were about to start, and as we were starting to ship articles. And I think even to this day, we're, we're rolled out about 20% on Android and 100% on iOS. Android is just not as... I mean, I have people reporting bugs from Android 6. <laughs> Sometimes uh -huh. I want to just reply and say, I'm sorry. Can are I... you still, why are you still using Android 6? Can I get you a new uh, phone? Yes, can I go like... I've tried that too. I, I'll buy you a $75 phone. Like Yes. So there's that. But I, I still don't know that we will succeed. I'm pretty sure we won't fail, but I'm not sure whether we'll succeed. And with any, when I first got here in 2016, we did a visual redesign of the app. You know, it was sort of the old 2004 look. Uh, and so it was a big mm -hmm. change. And people hated it. We knew that it was great or better, <laughs> but people hated it. Yeah. So I knew there was going to be a bit of that with our release here that no matter what, people would hate it. And what does scare me still is a little bit that sort of Android long tail and, and whether there's any way to make the performance acceptable for them. But on the majority at this point, we don't get bugs about React Native anymore. We got them at the beginning. Now we get bugs about GasBuddy. And I can fix them significantly yeah. faster than I could fix them before. And that's been great. Yeah, that's how you know you're succeeding is your bugs are about your product and not your stack. <laughs> that said about React Native, did you guys consider any other platforms, you know, maybe sticking with native, going with something else? Flutter. Yeah, Flutter. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I happen to be a neighbor of, of Miguel de Acasa who of, of Xamarin fame. And so we always walk around chatting about this general concept. And he's not a big fan of JavaScript, although I'm slowly converting him. Uh, and I think that everybody considers Flutter because from a purity perspective, you know, nobody's unhappy. <laughs> and so we did the same, but not deeply. Because we were coming from, originally it was a SQL server, .NET. There might even be some visual basic around, but we don't talk about it. And we made a big conversion to Node and to Kubernetes and AWS and all that sort of stuff when I got here. So we already had significant React. We already had significant React experience in house. So that was a huge piece of the of the win. Is that now my web team and even the backend JavaScript teams could come in and and do features in React Native if they wanted to. Other than me, I'm not sure that's totally panned out yet, but I'm still confident it helps. We aren't we aren't sharing a lot of code between web and and mobile at the moment. So. For us, the realistic options were staying with the existing code base, 
which had been around for 12 years. We had a decent amount of turnover in COVID like most people. So there was a little less speaking for that. We were never going to rewrite it in native because I, I just I don't think you could deliver any benefits. Um, so it was either React Native, Flutter, or I don't know, mobile web, which is not really an option. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And we've mentioned a bunch of times on this podcast, Robin and I were part of a team uh, that did a rebuild this year. Um, and after checking with the lawyers, we can probably say that it's Mercari. Um, and they did have an internal discussion about, you know, staying native versus rebuilding and kind of redoing the architecture. And, you know, now they now we know they decided to go with React Native. and seems to be going well. I, I'm no longer on that project. I know Robin kind of speak a little bit more to that. But I kind of wanted to ask you, based on all that research, and, you know, kind of going through Flutter and Xamarin and all, all that and sticking with native, did you see, and I guess this might be like a leading question, but did you see this as a, as a risk for the company as a whole, jumping into, you know, both feet into React Native? Without a doubt. I mean, I, I um, nobody gets fired for picking IBM, but lots of people might get fired for picking React Native. Um, and we, 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 we did it right around the time that Airbnb had written the article basically saying we're out of here. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a dark time. Yeah. We've come a long way since that. Uh, and we've kind of put it, the reactive community, I feel like has put, kind of put it behind us and have had so many more wins since, yeah. since then. And I, I do want to, I know Max has more to say there, but I, I want to interject that I've heard at least third hand second hand that the uh the person who wrote that article regrets it that he he didn't mean for it to land the way it did and actually has written follow-up articles saying react native is not that bad <laughs> that's kind of my impression at least uh that's what someone told me i need to actually back this up but it kind of like it, it did a lot more damage to react native than i think was intended and, I, and and in fact i read that article as an endorsement for for what we wanted to use React Native for. Mm -hmm. We are not Angry Birds. This is Gas Buddy. <laughs> it's an information display app with a bunch of different ways to navigate amongst a fairly connected data set. Like, it's made for React Native. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that has mostly panned out. The DevTools stuff in 2019, I felt like was frustrating. Every time the releases were coming fast and furious, and when you needed to upgrade, like, God help you. Um, yeah. That's gotten a lot better over time. Yeah, it really has. The bigger risk there was the business overall, right? And so I, I came here uh, because I saw something about the way that people interacted with fuel, especially around payments, which was strange. I think people value a dollar's worth of free gas higher than a dollar's worth of hard cash. Um, and so that was what was sort of compelling about the business. But it's not, I, I, in my opinion, not a glamorous business. And I, so of course I'm taking risk. What would I be here for otherwise? And that was a little bit of my um, uh, premise going in. But also with the sort of financial situation being so uncertain. And as I said, the the sort of sweet spots of this decision are on both extremes of, of the financial outcomes for us, efficiency versus cost savings. Um, it seemed like the right time to take the risk. What was a little bit difficult and the reason the project took two years is, I don't know, Mark, if you agree, I'm not even sure if you had joined the project by this point, but last year, when we were getting acquired, a little bit before we were getting acquired, it was in a state that I think would have been reasonable to launch. It wasn't complete. It was buggy as heck, but I've seen launches before it. But in the process, you know, anybody who's been through an acquisition can tell you it's an often three to six month process. Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty long for us too. Yep. The risk was way too high to release the app. It's sort of like the classic VC problem of selling the dream versus selling the reality. We were at the point internally and externally, we were selling the dream of React Native, faster feature delivery, smaller teams, all this sort of stuff. 
So if I deliver it and the bug counts were off the charts or if we'd gotten the feedback we got when we did finally release it, which surely would have happened, it was just all downside. So we delayed, I think, probably six months, nine months cost us um, the acquisition process to delay the release of React Native. I think what you're what you said with the risks and then kind of bringing in that Airbnb article, sometimes React Native is not for everybody, but for you and your your company, and I'm sure a lot of companies out there, React Native was a good fit and, you know seem to be thriving with it now, which is which is awesome. The thing that is most exciting, and I think that will slowly win over uh, end users to the decision, even if they don't care about the technical underpinnings, is our ability to deliver features. We have a lot of things that are full stack issues. And when you had to multiply by two for Android and iOS, and on top of that, the same developer has no chance, it means that feature takes 10 times as long. Yeah. So one, every intern, every employee who joins, joins GasBuddy at some point says, you know what we should do? We should let you take a picture of the gas station sign and report prices. And everyone falls on that sword briefly. <laughs> but we're going to really do it now. And 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 Mark actually has been doing some work on the sort of frame processor approach in React Native, which allows you to bring native to bear for the actual text recognition and stuff, but use React Native to deliver yeah. all those great features. When they start seeing those things happen, yeah. I think they will get an appreciation of why we did what we did. Totally. Nice. So you, like, we... We've already talked a lot about the efficiency gains that you get from React Native not having to write the same things twice and being able to iterate really quickly. Um, I want to talk about other specific wins from this conversion. And I think performance is probably one that we want to touch on. I know, Mark, I, you probably have a lot to say about this. So I want to hear about what sort of performance wins you've seen with the React Native app since you converted. Yeah, so I was brought onto the Gas Buddy team a little later into the rewrite where a lot of people had been touching the code base for a very long time. Uh, and I was brought in specifically to work on performance things. And so the very first thing I did was I just started using the app. Like I built the app, I'm running it in my simulator and I just used it. And I was I turned on the performance graph and made sure that um, I was looking for stutters, frame drops, slowness, main thread locks. And like that was that that's where I started to just start getting usability issues taken care of, where like a screen takes too long to load. Um once I determined those usability issues, I'd just figure out which component uh, I needed to target. Sometimes it was easy to find the things uh in the code base, but other times I had to use a tool uh called Why Did You Render? in order to find this stuff. And yeah. why did you render is a really great dev tool that I integrated uh, pretty soon after I started on the project so that I can just turn it on and it just starts telling me all the things that are rendering too many times. Uh, so I can go and actually target uh, those things specifically. And so I first started on like, what's a user going to notice in this app? Like, I don't care if I gain um, you know, a hundred milliseconds here or there if the user's not going to notice it. But if it's a noticeable usability issue, those were the things I tackled first. And these are these are specifically like performance gains against the initial React Native implementation, correct? Yeah, exactly. The question about performance gains over the original Gas Buddy app is a fascinating one. And it's a little bit of, uh, I forget what they call those things when it looks like it's a mirage, I guess. When you start the start the project, everything is blazing fast. The download is four megabytes. Oh, it yeah. looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I went the other day to look at it. It was 100 megabytes. It turns out it's mostly native code that's making the app so big. So we're going to figure out what we can do about that. 
but and not our native code, by the way, CocoaPods and all that other stuff. But from a performance perspective, to me, on my iPhone, I don't know what I have, 12 or something, 11, uh, it feels blazing compared to the old app. Startup time is way lower. But I do hear, especially people on, people on older devices, struggling with some of the performance stuff. And I think there's a lot of headroom left for us on improving performance, not to mention we're on uh, React Native 6.7 or 67 instead of 69 because, you know, it's kind of insane to do an app like ours on the bleeding edge of React Native. Um, 67 is pretty bleeding edge for an, for an app that big. Yeah, and we, we try to be very <laughs> aggressive about updating dependencies. Mark can attest. Um, <laughs> so sometimes it breaks things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I don't know... Um, exactly how we will manage that over time because 6.9, for example, is a huge, huge change and I, I know the dependency is really going to support it and I'm not entirely sure. I think we'll take yeah. the risk soon and try it, but I'm sure it's going to fail a few times. I've I've tried and failed to upgrade the GasBuddy project to React's native 69 uh, like twice now, I think. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that performance-wise, we have a long way to go, but I, I still think we're probably better in most cases than the old app. And, you know, the latest Airbnb equivalent is this notion tweet storm, right, about uh, they said their app was in React Native and it was actually just web views or something like that. And for me, the summary is the difference between good code and bad code is significantly bigger than the difference between React Native and Flutter and then Native and all this sort of stuff. You can write bad code in any language. And with products yeah. these days that are typically server-heavy products, that dynamic is 10 times more important than the paint speed on everything but, you know, long lists and stuff that, you know, traditionally give React Native trouble. And give Native trouble, too, by the way, because lists are really hard. Have you started using uh, Flashlist? I know, Mark, you were looking into it. Mark has. Yeah, I've uh, I've got a draft PR up there with the, the new Shopify Flashlist integrated into one of the lists. And uh, I'm still uh, working on doing some testing to make sure that it is going to be faster because a lot of times with performance tuning, like you can change something that you think is going to make it faster, but it actually makes it slower. So, <laughs> so using, using, um, using things like the profiler flipper performance tools and stuff like that, the flame graph we, we talked about in episode 231, um, you can, do the same action over and uh, over again in your app just to make sure that it's your optimizations are actually optimizing it and not making it slower because there are some instances when just a bare function is going to be faster than using a memo or, or a, a, a use effect or excuse me, a use callback. I can attest to, you know, Robin and I asked Mark because he was in the middle of this guest buddy performance improvements to kind of help us on the Mercari project with performance and you know mark showed us the flame graph and all that kind of stuff and yeah people talk about you know adding use callback and use memos to help but sometimes it would actually slow things down you know that's not it that's not all for performance at the end of the day so using the flame graph to kind of help us you know dig in deeper to what it is that was causing the issue was awesome so and that was you know sounds like it helped a lot with startup time which seems to be the case with a lot of Android apps switching over to to React Native for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we actually have a two part series on performance techniques for React Native, starring none other than me. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you, you, you can actually go listen to those episodes. Uh, in, uh, it's React Native Radio episodes two seventeen and two eighteen, where we talk more about performance. Because our performance uh, go to he's our guru. Yeah, 
<laughs> what a coincidence. Ours too. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say, Max, like, I, this is kind of a weird question, but what do you miss about working on native versus React Native? Is there anything that, like, <laughs> like you're like, okay, I, I, I preferred this in the native code base? I really enjoy features that people use and ways to think about the problem space differently than before. So for example, I'll tease it, a feature I've wanted to build for years, and I think we're going to finally, which is I want to be able to message somebody by their license plate number. I live in a city and the car's about to get towed. The city's not going to message them. I'd like to just be able to type it in and say, hey, by the way, your car's about to get towed. This is a feature that, in my opinion, I've, I've had it for many years, long before I came to Gas Buddy. Gas Buddy's the only company that has a shot. Not saying it's going to work, but it's the only company that has a shot. You have the the ways to connect people. Yeah. I mean, ways and sp- speaking of ways, ways would also yeah. have a shot. So I don't mean to imply that. <laughs> 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 Wait a minute here, though. Would, would this be a, 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 a like a, so a way to like... You're the ones... Like bring road rage to digital, oh, or, or I thought is, you were going. Problem? I thought you were going dating service, which yes, <laughs> I mean that. that hey, license that plate really, one two three in my city. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't quite figured out the dynamic of misconnections, of, of misconnections, or, or preventing someone from taking your license plate. I haven't figured that out yet. Anyway, my point being, yeah. I don't miss uh, Swift UI or whatever because that's not what interests me. What interests me is those feature deployments and those network dynamics, which a company like GasBuddy finds itself at the center of in a particular somewhat boring domain. Um, and and I can do those from top to bottom now. I can write the UI. I can write the backend services. I can write the database layer in one day. And, and not, not because of the time of the task, but I'm saying in, a, in a, any given day, I can span that whole spectrum and make changes significantly faster than I would have if I have to add another mobile platform. And I can already see that the way we think about projects we take on has changed because people don't have to calibrate for the coordination of two mobile teams with two rollout schedules and two sort of response speeds between the App Store and Android and Google Play. So I think I don't miss a dang thing about native. So you're saying you don't, yeah, you're saying you don't miss anything? No. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> that's what you want. Let's talk about like that speed of iteration. Some of it has to do with the choices that um, I guess we made together in you know the the architecture phase and and tech stack and stuff. So really rapid fire, quick questions. What are you using for navigation? React navigation. React navigation. That's pretty standard. Uh, state management. MST. Mom, Mombic state Mombic tree. state tree. Um, I had nothing to do with that. Yeah, no, no, no that, that was a huge sure, one. Yeah, no, Infinite Red did not influence Jim us and at all. Yeah. Not consulting you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, although what m- most people may think is that he consulted us away from Redux or something, it was the opposite. I wanted to use Unstated, <laughs> which is like the most bare bones state management yeah. because I uh-huh. I despise and boy, PayPal was full of this in in mostly Java world. I despise four layers and four files to change one thing. I just don't Thank have you. time. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. And so MST. <laughs> I'm sorry, Redux team. But. Yeah. I was, I was skeptical that MST was going to give me one and a half instead of four, but it's not. It's actually been quite nice. I, I think one of the challenges we may be having performance-wise at this point may be the amount of stuff we have in state. So, in fact, the other day mm-hmm. I did something with pure React context. I think Mark must not have seen it because he let it slip by. <laughs> no, I was at the company retreat, so I didn't look at the pull request. That's right. <laughs> but I do like this idea of, hey, there are some things that need to be app-wide state and everything needs to be reactive. And there are some things that are at the sort of node of a tree, like 
don't put those up there. I, I've been playing a little bit more with just raw mob X as well. And I think there's a place for that as well. And it, it can work. They can work seamlessly together. Anyway, that's a whole different episode that we can nerd out about. <laughs> <I like> <laughs> uh, you, you all used uh, TypeScript uh, pretty strictly throughout the project. We did. We didn't use it on the server renovation when we did uh, the node change and we had tried flow for a while because i thought there's no way microsoft is going to win a javascript war facebook's going to own that thing and flow was not good <laughs> and typescript i think i've been impressed by two languages in my life c sharp which is a thing of beauty and the generics and c sharp are one of the best things ever done in computer science in my opinion uh, and and typescript the, the fact that there's sort of this runtime layer in the typing system is cooler than people give it credit for, I think. And and I don't think that's a, a mistake. I think there's some influence uh, by the I same mean, teams. You, on you're both. talking about Microsoft sure. C Sharp. Yeah. It's like, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> is TypeScript strict mode, like tr strict true? That's a good question. I think it is. Yeah, well, I mean, we, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty strict. It's strict. Um, <laughs> more strict than I t tend to like, but uh, I think with the with what... With what you're doing on Gas Buddy, it, it makes sense because there's yeah. a lot of people touching a lot of different pieces of it. For sure. We've got really yeah. strict linting rules in effect. Cool. And yeah, it, the bigger if, the bigger the team and the bigger the code base, mm -hmm. the more important it gets to have strict mode. Yeah, just to make sure everyone's on the same page writing co similar code. That's a thing you, you can't underestimate. Sorry, that we had uh, eight or ten mobile de native developers coming and learning JavaScript for the first time, right. React for the first time. You know, Visual Studio Code for the first time, TypeScript for the <laughs> first time. So it really saved us from many a bug. What about releases? So obviously you can push to the App Store, but you've also we've also implemented um, Code Push. Um, has that been useful, or has it just added more complexity to the project? I think it's been marginally useful so far, but I'm confident it is useful in general. And marginally useful now because things are changing so fast on the native side that I don't really get a chance to use Code Push Code mm -hmm. Push as much as we will. But there have been times when we make some silly bug that I can fix with just JavaScript and we'll push it out. I think the overall release flow process has complicated our use of code push a bit. Um, and, you know, I've, one of the things I've noticed is our bundle is fairly big now. I think it might be like 15 megs or something. And that initial code push to a native release includes the entire bundle. Future code pushes will include a diff, and that's great. So we've backed off a little bit from using code push because I still want that first run experience for the new install to be the best. So we submit a lot. So in the past, uh, the past six months, I guess, obviously, stuff's been happening in the world, and gas prices have like gone through the roof. How has that sort of political inflationary climate affected you guys, and how have you handled it? And what's that been like? It's been difficult. Uh, you know, you somewhat argue terrible timing to release a brand new version of your app. But tri <laughs> trial by fire, I suppose. Terrible or really good? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, the, uh, the really good part being that it was a lot of new users. So they didn't have expectations mm -hmm. or familiarities or whatever. So that, I think, all in all was a validation of our overall strategy. It was our second run at being number one in the App Store. Um, Pipeline Crisis was the first, and then this was the second. The difference was it was sustained. And obviously yeah. also many times that we're number one, the world is suffering. So it's a strange thing. You don't yeah. go cheering we're number one. <laughs> Uh, but we our sustained sort of average load is about a tenth of our peak load. It is very difficult to deal with that kind of spike ratio on the back end and and also on the front end. We used a system or a tool called Shakebugs that allow people to report bugs much more easily than they had mm -hmm. in the past, which is a double-edged sword. 
Um, so that's like you shake it to report a bug. Yes. Uh, in fact, yeah. we did that at PayPal on PayPal here, uh, whatever it was, 10 years ago. And, the you know, PayPal's a big company. And they asked me to file a patent on it. So we PayPal owns a patent in my name on shaking to get help in an app. So look out. No way. <laughs> no way. Are you serious? I'm that's serious. Cool. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, you know, the, PayPal is very uh, good, in my opinion, good citizen of using patents defensively. So I don't, people should, I don't think people should be scared. But uh, yeah. yeah, silly patent. So anyway, we use that and it makes basically... <laughs> That goes into a Slack channel. So there is zero distance between, you know, 10, 15 million users at the peak of that crisis per, per day and the developers. I, I got to ask, what are some funny, uh, like, bug reports you've gotten? Oh, my goodness. We've got some good ones. <laughs> yeah, Mar- Mark's got Mark, his hand. Mark, sounds like Mark's got one. Well, I, I just want to say that it's really interesting as a developer to have direct feedback from users. Like sometimes they tell us way more than what we need to do. And sometimes they're weird. Sometimes they're threatening. Like yep. it's, it's, it's really interesting what people type into the, that submission form. Sometimes and we, we have some bugs that are really hard to find. We had one where Android was popping up location requests over and over again, and we couldn't reproduce it. The language people referenced in the bug reports didn't exist in our app anywhere. And somebody made a two-paragraph explanation, which gave us enough clues to figure out in an hour. So it has been great overall. But That's yes. amazing. I really want to know what the answer was. The answer was Why? that when you uh, – Android location permissions don't return denied. They return blocked. There's sort of a nuance there. And so mm. whenever you ask for location, even if the phone has location disabled, the OS will pop up and say, hey, would you like to turn on GPS for this app? Yes or no. And if in our particular case, because of the way that whole dynamic worked, we would request location, even though the phone couldn't support it, and we would keep doing it. So it keep popping up. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? There was no way for anyone to <laughs> and stop. And it was it. a system. It was a system dialogue. So you didn't have right. the. And, oh, text and anywhere. the reason the loop was happening is because when that system dialogue came up, it, it was considered putting our app in the background. And when our app came back in the foreground, guess what we did? Ask, would try it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's our weird bug for the day. Yeah, right. the day. But I think the one that, to answer your question, is we have a feature in our payment product that allows you to offset the CO2 produced by your fuel purchase at our cost, basically. It's an opt-in feature. You don't have to have it. Mm. And somebody shake, did a ShakeBugs report with all sorts of not safe for work language about how we were basically just oh, part no. of the corporate stooges and oh, this is man. all a sham and all sorts of stuff. And I reply, <laughs> you can reply in ShakeBugs. And I was like, that's why it's an mm. opt-in feature. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. <laughs> don't feed the trolls. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, like a- accusing us of being part of the Illuminati and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know you could oh, reply man. in ShakeBugs. I think that kind of, for That's... me, that elevates the feature and makes it really cool to kind of have that quick l- feedback it's customer. Loop. It's customer service in addition yes. to. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yes, not, not to be a whole like ad for ShakeBugs, but I've been really impressed. And one of the big things there is it takes a screenshot when they shake the thing so you can see a screenshot and i know that's been super helpful the screenshot's been useful by the way it was not useful for that crazy bug we talked about because it was a system dialogue it wasn't in the screenshot (laughs) right right yeah (laughs) oh wow (laughs) but it's also incredibly useful because it gives you your logs like the last thousand log events Mm. that you fired it keeps them and sends them up so it has been great we are going to do more work to integrate those replies because what we do find is nobody goes to look at their bug they need a notification but it is this question of, is it Zendesk or is it a bug reporting tool? It's a little bit of both. By the way, you've not used it a lot on this project for, for reasons that it's just the complexity of the, like the setup and the monorepo and stuff. But 
uh, we have Reactatron, which is a really cool uh, tool for for debugging state and things like that. We've thought about making it so that you can take a snapshot of state and send it over with a bug and actually just restore their state to your local device to look at where they were. There's some downsides to that. You obviously have to like scrub it of any like, you know, key information and then deal with that and things like that, like like secret information. But I think that'd be a really cool service. If, honestly, probably something we should monetize at some point if we were to build it. But uh, but it, it's I think that'd be a, that'd be an interesting one just to kind of try to get it into the same state. We've tried a few versions of that, even with just authentication and just so I can sort of be them for a second. And I always get scared off by exactly what you said. I don't want to be taken. PII or whatever bad stuff. Exactly. And then it's also hard because yeah. you don't have the state of the phone. Like you don't have the state of what are, what is their uh, their permissions you know, and whatnot. Yeah. And their battery level and all, all kinds of stuff. Memory usage. So kind of closing the loop on this discussion, what's next for GasBuddy? What's, you know, what can you talk about coming up soon? Well, I talked about my uh, gas buddy becomes Facebook license plate idea already, but that <laughs> Mis- misconnections, yeah. road Tinder. rage life. Yeah, yeah. But forgetting <laughs> that, um, I think really for us it's about performance. I I do think, and maybe we're chasing our tails, and maybe it's good enough. Um, but I don't get that sense from the bug reports now. I think we have work to do there, and a big piece of that may very well be the new architecture and fabric or whatever they're calling it. Yeah. I think it's going to make a big difference uh, when that comes to be more mainstream. So there's that. And then yeah. I think, you know, it's it, it now, thankfully, all of our new features are really about the business. Uh, the price reporting thing I talked about with the signs is one part cool, but the other part is, you know, it's a different world than it was in 2004. The willingness of people to walk, drive around, not walk around, uh, recording prices like they did before is lower. And so we're losing some price coverage. We need to do work to encourage more people to participate, not by reading prices, but by contributing them. And I think it's a big part of that is going to be in the app. And we have a payments product now. So in theory, we might be able to start to compensate people in some way, although they incentivize it. Yeah, yeah. incentivize yeah. it. And so a lot of stuff around sort of going back to the roots of gas buddy. What are we here for? It really is this crowdsourced gas price and outage information tracker. We got to make that rock solid. Awesome. It's been fantastic uh, chatting with you about this, Max. We're unfortunately out of time here. Um, and I know Mark's got a lot more to say on some of the performance stuff that he did. Uh, we'll probably have to come back and do a follow-up episode on some of that stuff. But I uh, really appreciate it. It's been fantastic working with you as well. And uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. I'm actually really interested to see how the the transition to React Native 69 goes, as well as um, any new architecture uh, changes that we can make to maybe improved performance uh, in the future. For the audience, if you'd like to nerd out more about React Native, check out my Twitch stream, which I haven't been doing as much lately, but I am trying to do on Fridays at rn.live. You can also go to youtube.infinite.red and I live stream there as well. You can join our Slack community, community.infinite.red. We have almost, we have over, I need to change my copy here. We have over 2000 React Native developers in there. And there is a new Twitter community, rntwitter.infinite.red. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Robin is at ro- Robin underscore Heinz. I am at Jamin Holmgren. Mazen is at Mazen Chami. Mark is at Mark Rickert. On Instagram, YouTube, he's not on Twitter. Uh, Max, where can people find you? Oh, I'm on Twitter at DJ Max M, but generally not much on social. Not things. on there often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's too busy working. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find React Native Radio at React Native RDIO. Thanks so much, Max and Mark, for joining us as guests. 
As always, thanks to our producer and editor, Todd Wirth, our assistant editor and episode release coordinator, Jed Bartoski, our designer, Justin Husky, and our guest coordinator, Derek Greenberg. Thanks to our sponsor, Infinite Red. Check us out at infinite.red slash reactnative. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. We are React Native Radio. We will see you all next time. Bye.